Hey, everybody. I'm Liz Nord, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. You'd have to be living off the grid to have missed the fact that Netflix is dominating the media conversation by putting billions of dollars into original content and streaming it to billions of viewers around the world. An exciting aspect of this for us and many of our listeners is that some of that financing is going toward truly independent films, like one directed by No Film School's own founder, Ryan Koo, called Amateur, which premieres on Netflix this Friday. On today's episode, we meet the wonderful team behind another fully independent Netflix original called First Match, which premiered at South by Southwest and began airing on Netflix last week. First Match is an engrossing drama shot here in Brooklyn's notoriously tough Brownsville neighborhood about a teenage girl called Mo who joins the boys wrestling team at her school as a way to try to reconnect with her dad, a former champion wrestler who has recently gotten out of jail. Mo is expertly portrayed by Elvira Emanuel, who's one of those new actors you see and immediately know that they're going to have a big future. On the show, I'm joined by First Match writer and director Olivia Newman, who you'll hear referred to as Livy throughout the conversation, plus DP Ashley Connor, editor Tamara Meme, and producer Chanel Lane. A few minutes in, we're also joined by producer Brian Unclis, who came onto the project with such impressive credits as producer on I, Tanya and co-producer on the three Hunger Games films. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation about how they made a sports movie inside a personal narrative instead of the other way around, and the strategies they used to stretch a limited production budget into creating a very polished final product. Welcome to the No Film School Podcast. Thanks for having Hi. us. Hi. So uh, let's start by hearing who you are. I'm Olivia Newman. I'm the writer and director of First Match. I'm Tamara Mame. I'm the editor. I'm Chanel Lane, producer. Ashley Connor, cinematographer. Awesome. And again, everyone's from First Match. So uh, starting kind of from the beginning, I'm not sure, Chanel, when you came onto the project, but this is probably a question for Chanel and Olivia about just this development. I know you did a lot of the labs, and I'd like a broad strokes view of how you got from concept to Netflix. So the feature film evolved from a short film, which I made as my thesis um, at Columbia, and Chanel was a producer of the short film. Um, And then uh, the short film focused on a a girl wrestler preparing for her first match. The girl that I cast in the short was a wrestler who happened to be from Brownsville. So the feature film story grew out of my friendship with Nyasa and the stories that she and her friends shared with me. Um, So it's a very, the feature film is very different from the short because it didn't, I didn't know anything about that world before I I made the short. Um, And then uh, when I started developing it into a feature, I actually called Chanel or maybe we met in person, I can't remember. And I said, I'm not making this without you. Um, and so she was the first producer to come on. Um, and then we took the film through a whole bunch of labs and markets. We were laughing the other day because the first place <laughs> we, we took it was the Cabo International Film Festival right. um, the market. market. And it was the first year that they had the market. And so we were able to talk to a lot of financiers there. And I guess the funny part of that story is that we both got very, very sick. Um, and, the last uh, night. <laughs> <laughs> barely barely funny, made actually. our flight. Yeah. It was so, yeah. But the, the market was great. The market was so absolutely fantastic. And it was, it was kind of like our, our debut out into the world. Uh, so, and they 
um, we had a really good um, dialogue with a lot of different financiers there. So it so really you informed brought, things you as you brought the forward. script to the market. We brought the script and lookbook and things, and we were pitching at the market. And while I was there, I found out that I had an interview with the, screen, the Sundance Screenwriters Lab. So when I got back from the market, I had my interview, and then I got into the Screenwriters Lab. So and then went through the Sundance Screenwriters Lab and then the Director's Lab. And that was really kind of a... I think a like a fork in the road. Yeah, it, that absolutely. then opened up even more doors, um, and then we started getting uh, some funding from um, all San the Francisco, San Francisco Film Society, and, um, Tribeca All Access. Right. Um, we went through the IFP market, the Los Angeles Film Independent Film Fast Independent. Um, so it started getting it started getting a lot of. Um, support from all the film organizations. We kind of were doing the thing that you're supposed to do to make your first independent feature. Um, and this uh, producer, uh, we have another producer, Verona, Veronica Nickel, who was also into Columbia with us. And Chanel and Veronica were the first two producers attached. And then out of the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, we got the attention of uh, our third producer, Brian Uncleus. Um, who read the script and just, you know, really loved it. He was starting his production company and he was looking for films to produce. Um, and as we were going through the process of looking for money, Brian uh, started working with Netflix on another very big budget film. Um, and so we were, you know, going out to kind of um, production companies and private equity route and getting lots and lots of no's telling us um, that the film was very difficult to finance. Right. I mean, we were getting lots and lots of no's with a lot of like support of saying how really good the script was and how um, excited they were to be able to see a script like this and that, you know, the world deserves to see a script like this. Um, but we were struggling to, to get the financing because of the very tight hole uh, of actors or, or that they see that they can see through that would make be able to make this film and so there was that difficulty there um and then you know after uh after we couldn't get financing based on cast um we just said well we're just going to cast we're just going to cast who we want and we're just going to find the finance you know we'll ha finance it based on who's in the film because we're going to make this movie. we're going to make this movie and so we cast we had cast Elvire we had just cast Yaya and um Netflix had had the script for a while in like a the bigger budget department um which we were sort of like well if they want to make it for a lot of money mm -hmm. like we'll do that so we weren't saying no but then you know they finally kicked it down to at the time was called the micro budget department but I don't even know if it's called that anymore it's independent independent yeah. wing um and uh, and they then said yes and that, and greenlit it. So quite a process, more traditional than I expected, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Just over over what period of time was that? Oh, good question. Um, I guess it would be we, we went to Cabo in 2014. 14. And then they um, did the Sundance Labs in 2015. Right. And then we started. We we did Fast Track in June of 2015. Of but we really started going out to meetings in December of 2015, 15. and we got the financing from Netflix in April 2016, and we shot July 2016. So when we met with Netflix, the meeting was, if we get, 
greenlit in the next week, we can still shoot the summer. And if we don't, we have to wait a whole nother year because of wrestling schedules and access to schools. We knew we had to shoot over the summer. Oh my goodness. And, and did they, Netflix know that? Did you kind of we told them. That in the line? Yeah, wow. we sort of were that there saying, the listen, we've got our cast. We've, you know, got a lot of our crew. We're ready to go like and hit the ground rolling, running. Um, rolling. <laughs> but we need, like, we need the money in our bank account, you know, next in the next week. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, and so they understood that, and they made the decision very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I would give a quick shout-out to Matt Levin because uh, over at Netflix, who um, really was quick and very supportive, and, and we had a lunch uh, with Libby where she really kind of laid out an amazing vision, um, and he, he just got it and immediately activated, which very few places can do so quickly. It was really, really nice. And since you've just joined us, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Brian Unkelis. And what was your role on the film? Uh, I was one of, our, one of the producers. Awesome. Okay, so now Netflix is on board. And I'm curious, um, before we get into the craft of making the film, which is which I'm so excited we have a bigger uh, piece of the crew here, I'm curious, like, what they, what were their mandates? It came together so quickly. Was there anything they said about how you had to shoot it or anything? The most amazing thing about working with Netflix is how much creative control they give the filmmakers. I cannot... I can't speak more highly of working with them. Um, I really, I never got a no from them on anybody that I wanted to hire or um, any of my casting decisions. We hadn't yet cast the coach, um, so they had, we did have a list of actors that they said, you know, if you could get a big name actor for this role, it would be good, but, you know, if you can't or there's somebody else you prefer, you know, that's okay too. Um, And everybody was so happy with um, the choice that, you know, getting Coleman is yeah. just perfect. Um, so, yeah, it really wasn't, I don't know, from the production side. Of I, no, I mean, I think not only was there a big creative uh, freedom, there was a big financial freedom in that, you know, it's one thing when it's going to be financed and it's another thing to, like, see the money and be like, we know this is going to happen. Uh, and there, that fear was not there. Like, it, it came. As promised, it came. And so that also allowed for that creative freedom and for us to be able to just go out there and do do what we needed to do and, and go into the places that we wanted to go uh, in Brownsville to, to make it happen. So getting into the film itself, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, but it's not a thriller and it's not an action movie. Like in a way, it's a quiet movie. So I was I was wondering from each sort of phase of production from screenwriting from shooting, from editing, were there things that you did to sort of ratchet up a certain kind of tension? Well, I think from the shooting side of things, uh, a lot of the reference points that we kind of talked about were either, you know, for the bigger fight scenes, you look at like Raging Bull, you look at, you know, The Wrestler, whatever, you see those movies, but actual depiction of Moe's universe is very intimate and very tight. And so a lot of our reference points were like French movies, like A Prophet or um, Fish Tank, you know? So it was really about like building a personal world and an intimate world for her and then having these kind of like team moments build out. So at least from visual standpoint, it was kind of 
how to make a sports film inside of a personal narrative and not have it be um, like super cheesy or anything like that. Like more of what we're interested in and the filmmakers that we like. So it was like Andrew Arnold doing a sports movie. That's a that's a very high <laughs> like that. high uh, thing to aspire that's, to. That's my thing. But yeah, nobody quoted me. No, I think that that's that. Yeah, that is uh, fits it perfectly. I'd always said in all these pitches that we were going to, I wanted it to be a very subjective, visceral experience of being a girl, not just a girl wrestling, but a girl walking down the street, a girl dealing with relationships, a girl. You know, I like wanted people to be able to get inside of Mo's shoes at any place that she was at in her life. And so I wanted to feel as intimately with her when she was wrestling as we do when she's having, you know, very personal conversations or quiet moments of pain. Um, so that was our objective in the shooting style as well. And Ashley was so amazing at always reminding me of that because sometimes you get into these more, you know, action-based scenes and you're just, we need, you know, need to cover the action. And she would always remind me, well, wait a minute. We want to make sure it's like we're really inside of her point of view and did these amazing shots where, you know, the POV shots, we feel her body, we feel her stumbling, these, these you know, moments where it really is that kind of visceral experience. Um, and Tam can speak to cutting it. Yeah, I mean, really on this Ashley's cinematography is so alive and the camera moves a lot. So really in the editing, we were just sort of really showcasing and finding like a way to have that sing. And and also just always, it's just about the performance and being with Elvira and, and her raw emotion. And um, there was something that helped a lot with the fighting is that we went through and did ADR of Elvira's breath. Um, through the fights and that helps you to just connect with her body and her experience and I just want to do a shout out to Ashley with this the strength and the power to carry those cameras and do that handheld for the whole entire you know film in this uh, landscape that we're in like you know female cinematographers are like badass and like she we saw it every freaking day so I just want to put that in the, out there. Well, while, yes. while we're shouting out Ashley, this is a great, I meant to mention this earlier, we have, this is a big moment for the No Film School podcast because this is the first time we have a third time guest on the show. Ashley Connor is now with a third film on the No Film School podcast, so she Happy truly rocks. <laughs> we love Ashley. Um, so, and, and you, you bring up a good point too about the wrestling. I'm sure everyone asks, but how did you choreograph those scenes? And then how did you shoot them? And how did you edit them? I mean, it feels like we're really watching like sports, you know, sports action. I mean, we are watching sports action. And I, I can't imagine that that was any of your backgrounds. No. <laughs> um, I Because I had done the short, I had... I had gone through the process of choreographing a wrestling match and then breaking it down into pieces and figuring out how to shoot it and also knowing that it was because of the way you wrestle in a circle, it is impossible to have continuity. You just have, like, you have to allow yourself to also do long takes and see what you get more kind of documentary style and then take the time to get the pieces of moves that you need to then um, put it together. And what I learned from the short 
was how important it was to track the emotional beats throughout the uh, wrestling match and to um, have that be what's anchoring you. So I went into the feature more aware of that than I had been when I did the short. Um, But Ashley, when we first started working together, was like, when are your wrestling trainings? I want to come. And so she started coming to the trainings in the, you know, six in the morning or seven. It was crazy early and wrestled with Elvira so she could learn the movement and the feeling. Um, And the trainer that we worked with was somebody I had worked with on the short who was a wrestling coach. Um, And he and I worked very closely in figuring out what choreography would be doable by somebody who wasn't a wrestler and could really sell it, um, what moves would sell, but, you know, also seem, you know, kind of interesting and, and like she was able, you know, she could do a, a double leg takedown really well. So we, you know, used that a lot, but then also wanted to, you know, come up with moves that she was learning in practice that then we could see her do later on the mat. So we were, um, very, you know, worked very closely on that. So um, for people that have not seen the movie, I will say uh, there's one sequence in the movie where um, Mo is hoping that her father will join uh, the match. And uh, I just was I would say for, for Livy, for a first-time director, it's an incredible sequence, and we're watching it yesterday in the premiere, because she is balancing the emotional uh, ties to the expectation of her father while doing all this amazing wrestling and really showing the uncomfortableness and the brutality of that and the power of that. And yet, so to keep both of those things alive in the same sequence and then to actually um, kind of pay it off both and have those two uh, storylines kind of dovetail in a really great way is really powerful and, and, and difficult to pull off, especially on the schedule that we had. And, you know, we were flying um, through those wrestling sequences. So I really would commend everybody, but especially Livy, to be able to keep both of those ideas alive. Well, I think that comes down to editing a lot, too. You know, the, the way those scenes in those scenes were going back and forth between the match and, you know, the other things that are going on. So I'd love to hear more about editing specifically the fight scenes. Yeah, I mean, I had cut a couple of dance movies and that helped. Um, It's similar in that you're just always looking for those moments that really look real. And with the fighting and just, um, you know, a lot of it is is about finding, uh, you know, with punches and kicks, it's about the angles working so that it looks like they're really connecting and the timing of the reactions and stuff. But also it's... um, a lot of it is about kind of keeping in Mo's POV. That was important to us. And, um, you know, her seeing like her opponent and um, the crowd and reacting to that and um, and then keeping her connected to her father and his, you know, whether he was saying to, you know, to keep going or give up or, yeah. Yeah, and so I want to call out our incredible script supervisor, Allison Hugh-Strouds out of Nashville, um, who really, like, tracked these entire huge fight scenes because I'm handheld the entire time. I'm running around the entire time. Like, we're almost 360, and every single take I'm doing different things. And so I would have to, like, really rely on her to be like, did that move sell? Did I cover that? I'm, like, doing a 12-minute roll around on the mat with them so I couldn't always know and she's so 
She's incredible. She, you guys met her at the Sundance yeah, I Labs. Worked, Allison was someone I worked with at the Sundance Director's Lab. And um, I was eight months pregnant when I did the Director's Lab. And I can't tell you how much I leaned on Allison. <laughs> she actually even went and, like, bought me bras when, like, I was, like, like you know... I don't know why I'm saying this on this podcast, but when your boobs got too when big. my boobs got too big, she was buying me bras. She was keeping me up. She was. She just. Yeah, I knew that I needed her on my feature. She was. She has one of those energies that I just. I knew I needed that next to me in my corner. Um, uh, that she. She knows um, what is most important to look for. She's not going to get hung up on details that she knows are, you know, not going to matter so much in the edit, but her eye was always on making sure that every scene I was covered and, um, yeah, and that action sequences were so complicated (laughs) because we were shooting them all out of order and picking up pieces here and there and, you know, you know, suddenly discovering something that we grabbed in a long take and for Allison to kind of track that based on what was described in the script was, um, was remarkable. Well, and it is funny to talk about, you know, the picking up the bras or whatever, but we are speaking to other filmmakers. And I think if there's one theme that goes to every movie and every conversation I've ever had, it's that this collaboration thing, like it's everyone sort of needs to wear different hats and, and be a team player, especially in these indie productions. So it's it's a good point, actually. We started to talk a little bit about Mo and you you, you had mentioned Elvira, the actress, and how, how or do we say actor now, that the actor, <laughs> female actor, and how she um, sort of made your job as an editor easier because she had so many good takes. Um, oh, yeah. So She's I'd love, amazing. Yeah, I'd love to know. I heard Livy mention there was a good story about finding her. And I have a couple of follow-ups to that. But let's, let's hear about finding her. Okay. Um, yeah, so we knew going into this that we the film depended on us finding an amazing Mo. We couldn't... that. This film wouldn't be if we couldn't find our Mo. Um, and I, my dream was to find Mo on the streets of Brownsville, just to discover a girl from Brownsville who could act. And so um, we tried like a, you know, three-pronged approach. We did a nationwide casting search with our casting directors. Um, we posted to Actors Access so that p- actors could just self-submit. And then we also did street casting. Um, and ultimately, Elvire self-submitted through Actors Access. And when I saw her audition tape, I had that like gut reaction of, oh my God, I, th- I think this is our girl. Um, and uh, so part of the um, callback process was we had to do a wrestling training to make sure that they that the actress would be athletic enough to be able to learn wrestling in a short period of time. So we had our, our finalists come in and do um, a training with our coach. And after Elvira's training, he took me aside and was like, I, this girl is, I could teach her in a week. I mean, she is a natural, um, which often gets mistakenly picked up by the press as as that she was a wrestler. She was not, uh, but she was extremely athletic. She had run track and she just, you know, she cares a lot about her um, physique and she's, yeah, she's just a natural athlete. Um, so I said, great, because this is a girl I want to cast. So we cast her. And then a couple weeks before we went into production, she asked me for the office for our, uh, the address for our production office, which was in Brownsville, because she wanted to walk around the neighborhood and kind of get to know where the film was set. Um, and I knew that she had been um, 
born and raised in Brooklyn up until she was six, and then her family moved to Philly, um, and then she spent um, high school in Florida. Um, but she didn't know what part of Brooklyn she was from. And when she got off the train, she called me almost in tears and said, Livy, this is, this is where I'm from. I just got off the same stop where we used to take my dad. When he would go to work, we would walk him to this subway stop. And she was just, she said it was like going down memory lane, like, you know, passing all these buildings. She walked past the building where she had lived. And, you know, as a kid, you don't know exactly what neighborhood you lived in at that early age. Um, so for her, it was it was a very emotional thing to sort of realize that she was making a film in the neighborhood where, you know, she lived as a child. And for me, it was meant to be, it was like, wow, with, you know, without realizing it, we had found a girl from Brownsville to play Mo. So it was, yeah, it was a very magical, um, serendipitous moment. That's unbelievable. I love it. Yeah. Wow. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> and, and to talk about Elvira for a second, like, I haven't, well, I've worked with a lot of actors, but, like, somebody who's so young and she was so incredibly prepared every day and researched and, like, came with really smart questions and just was, like, so committed to the performance and her emotional tracking. It was, like, very impressive to see, especially because this was her first big movie like her level of preparedness and commitment to the role and like you know the physicality aspect of it it was huge because you know a lot of the actors who you were being sent it was like you'd look at their bodies and you'd be like there's no world where this person is going to take down like a big guy <laughs> and so to see her walk in with like muscle and like be capable of doing that and pulling it off and selling it was like a huge deal because I feel like people are afraid to cast strong, powerful women sometimes. Yeah, and she really went the went the extra length with, you know, a very specific diet that was helpful for building muscle, and you know, she was so committed to her trainings and um, but all but also committed to understanding the the emotional arc of the of the character and personalizing it for her. She's so different from Mo, but she found ways to personalize and relate to her and love her um, in a way that I think, I mean, I think it just shines through in her performance. Yeah, it, it definitely shines through. And I think, you know, I just want to also kind of dovetail on what both Ashley and Libby said, because, you know, it's not easy to come in as a first-time actor into a big uh, situation with a as a first feature and be able to sit in a chair uh, and you know being all the hair and makeup and and knowing your character and feeling your character so much and and saying to people you don't know like no I need it to be like this and uh, you know having these like conversations with Libby to come to this place where like I know how I'm going to like put put Mo out on the mat. I know how, you know, I'm going to interact with um, with, with Daryl. And uh, it, I, it, there was something really special about the way in which Mo, and <laughs> which Mo, in, the way in which Elvire brought it to the production in order for us to be able to meet her, to give her what she needed so that she could bring that to the camera. And, and that strength... Uh, really speaks to like this young actor not being afraid 
to allowing her voice to be heard. And, 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 and it's also, you know, I'll take a little bit of that too as, as, our, as production, that we also try to make it a comfortable space for her to have that freedom to do what she, what she needed to do and ask what she needed to ask. What were some of the things that you all did to create that environment? Well, I think what the first thing that we did is we wanted everyone to know that this was a community, that we were in this together, that it was all hands on deck, and that we were willing to, um, you know, as, as the producers, we were willing to, to get our hands dirty and do what needed to be done to, to get the job done, and that it wasn't just a community-based effort within our production, but that we were in the community in which we wanted to um, and to make the film, and that we wanted that community to know that our production was not just coming in to like make this film, take from it what we needed, and, and take off. No, we wanted to be a part of it, and we wanted to uh, be able to connect with it and and have the uh, the people who live there be a part of this film to be able to use caterers that would never get hired by film productions that we would hire them and then they'd go on to win lots of award money because you know they were able to put out um, applications. Uh, because of this experience and say like, you know, I did this thing, I'm a new caterer and Squarespace investing in, in, in them. And I don't even know if you guys know that story, but one, our, our caterer won like this new, like innovative entrepreneur award and our, our um, film production was like the first production that she had ever worked on. You know, one, one thing that I found inspiring about working on this movie was that, um, especially at this budget level, you know, everyone is doing it because they love the movie and because they're because they believe in the story, um, and unfortunately, it was not for the money. <laughs> and and um, but it actually, um, whereas you know, movies that are much bigger budget, it gets a little bit more complicated, and people kind of show up, and it's the day job. And here, everybody really felt like um, they were bleeding for it, and, and they and because of that, naturally, people had a voice and cared, and that kind of propels you forward. And I, I just want to add what the producers did for Elvira specifically. Um, you know, it, it was a low-budget film, but um, anything they could do to make sure that she was comfortable, you know, her rides to and from set, and, you know, she was on um, – she had a particular diet that they adhered to because, you know, because she was trying to keep a very athletic physique, um, making sure she got home as quickly as possible and got as much sleep and checking on her and making sure she was sleeping. And when she wasn't, seeing what we could do to help make sure she could sleep because we did so many overnights and her, you know, her hours would get, um, I, you know, we, we, we had one um, set where there was no private space for the actors they just had a partition up and they were in this sort of holding area with everybody and so um we found them like a yoga studio a couple doors down that agreed to open and just you know put mats there for them so that they'd have some quiet space so just finding ways to even though we didn't ha they didn't have their own trailers and what didn't have all those comforts letting them know that you know we wanted them to feel comfortable and and also feel comfortable asking if, if they felt like they weren't getting the privacy they needed or, you know, the sleep they needed, um, doing whatever we could. 
Well, you have referenced several times the low budget. It's obviously not as low budget as some, you know, really scrappy indies, but it's presumably a modest budget, yet it looks really polished. And so I'm wondering, part of that must have to do with each and every one of your roles. So what are some, you know, for our listeners, what are some maybe production hacks or things you did to up the production values within a more modest budget? Huh. What did we do? <laughs> uh, we asked for a lot of things for free. I guess that's an easy place to start. Um, but, you know, we were able to negotiate with locations, uh, which uh, some of our major locations were uh, from the New York public school system. Uh, and we were able to negotiate pretty well. People want to see this story. I think part of that is is that people want, you know, once we would talk about what this story was about, it also opened up people to engage with us to, uh, you know, in, in negotiating uh, for fees. And I think um, one of the, the, the things that most helped us was just actually shooting in Brownsville, which is such a cinematic place and, um, mm. and a place that isn't explored enough and certainly not in this way. And so um, being able to kind of get into it and really show an authentic look of it in that. And then, and, and then we had keys that really know how to make a lot with a little. And I would, sh- you know, shout out to the, the two that we have right now with us. But like, you know, Ashley finds with with no lighting she finds beauty and and she in in things that um in other perspectives could look seedy um really become um kind of magnificent and and um i i'd I'd point out like just her use of uh all the kind of neon signs in the in the background and, and like how that suddenly um gives it this kind of really this life and this 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 amazing palette um and and so she she was just really able to kind of bring it to life in a much bigger way than others would have that's great and i would also give a shout out to maki our production designer she had a very (laughs) tough task we had over 40 locations um there were very few days where we weren't doing a location move um you know where she was there were multiple locations being dressed at once. She had to, you know, create all these different gyms to look like different schools, even though we only shot at two schools. Um, her signage, you know, little things like the signage being so specific to each team so that it felt like a different space and the apartments. I mean, the reason I wanted to work with Maki is I knew she had worked. She could make a dollar stretch. She had done this um, beautiful film with Gabrielle Demiester, um, called Yosemite that was a period piece and I know they had very little money and and you know there's not a moment in that film where you don't believe that you're um of the period um and and Maki when we first started talking about uh, the sets she just wanted to know everything about the characters their histories their family relationships going back generations because she wanted to make sure each space felt like it had history and that it was Things that were on the wall were came out of a character's, you know, past or or emotional, you know, motivations. Wow. Um, so she's she is uh, she's engaged on a very deep level with her production design. Um, so that I think also, you know, brings incredible production value to the film. Yeah, and I think uh, you know we were shooting in the projects. Uh, 
so would you know time commitments like you're kind of traveling between buildings that seem close together for film production it's like when you have to go up you know three flights and then change buildings and location change so it was really like finding creative and smart ways collaboratively through all departments to be like this is the only thing that we need to see here let's not focus on like anything else so it was really trying to specify spaces when we were in them to be like this is what needs to sell and then it's like we'd be on a location scout and talking about a space that we wanted and the person would be like oh well we've got this unfinished weird room with some boilers in it down the street you guys want to see that we've like walked down we're like yes no we can light this and like sell it as like a dark dungeony wrestle place sketchy fight place yeah Yeah. but it was like in the basement of a beautiful school (laughs) wow the things you learn about your city when your locations yeah so it was just it was getting really creative across everybody to be like how do we minimize company moves because those kind of kill low budget films in a lot of ways and how do we use spaces and like when we were at the school Monroe 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 it was like we went all around that building and we were just like show us literally everything that you have and we just walk and be like this can be used for this check this can be used for this check we can use this office as almost like a studio and build it and like you know so it was very creative uh for everybody to kind of minimize movement and maximize space and wherever we were good point smart really it sounds like you made a lot of smart decisions so so please i was just gonna uh give a shout out to nike who also contributed a lot of uh our sneaker and wrestling uh uh, gear, or not the gear, but the, the shoes and the singlets and stuff. So uh, she uh, worked, they worked directly with Brooke Bennett, our, our wardrobe person, who also really knocked it out of the park and did amazing things with very little money, turned around uh, uh, being able to pr- uh, dress up all these, um, how many different wrestling teams do we have? Eight, eight, yeah. like eight different wrestling teams, and it was pretty incredible. That's something I didn't even think about while I was watching the film. And now that you mentioned it, it's like, oh, right. There were like how many youth wrestlers that needed singlets and oh, my goodness, which I always thought was sniglet, by the way. So now <laughs> I've learned something. <laughs> it's a lot cuter, a sniglet. Anyway. Oh, there's one other thing, too, I just thought of that um, like a lot of the time on these really low budget films, um, in editing, you have like no exterior establishing shots. Um, you just have the bare minimum, like this is the scenes. We couldn't, we didn't have time for exteriors. On this movie, they just try, they just grabbed what they could and they got some amazing stuff. Like this is what sells. You can see they shot in Brownsville because Ashley got like people walking the streets, the corner store, like the cat with the broken tail who ran by, they got that. They got the super moon. I mean, they just grabbed stuff and it was just, you know, that really makes the neighborhood feel like a real place. And like grabbing those shots of just people walking around, the trains, you know, you really feel like it's a real world. And also it's a, you know, great on production because a lot of low budget movies don't build in b-roll days or don't build in pickups and so this was a very special opportunity to like start the edit or at least 
have an idea of the edit and be able to look at the footage. And we went back a month after we wrapped mm -hmm. and reshot and did like a day of pickups around Brownsville. And we just kind of had a list of things that we, I mean, some of those things were gotten during the production, but it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard when you're trying to get dialogue scenes and you're doing like eight pages to also be like, hey, where's, can I keep the camera on my shoulder a little bit longer and like shoot this and this and this? And so <laughs> you get tired. So it was really great that they built in a back-end process, which is something that so many productions would benefit from. Even if it means like losing one day on the front end, it's just like you can really see the the forest through the trees when you can take a step back and look at what you're missing and what would enhance. But I will say that there was a lot of, okay, we're all right, we're done for the day and Ashley's camera's still rolling and she's following the actress back to her holding so that we can get some shots of her walking in the streets. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely a lot of um, just grabbing anytime we could. There's a train coming, Ashley! <laughs> Turning the camera, getting yeah. the subway, going the over the fucking bridge. train we will have kill so, me. Will kill me. We had so many, we ended up with so much train B-roll because anytime a train went by, I would like, Oh, Ashley, get the train. <laughs> but we used it. But we used it. it there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Worthwhile. I'm starting to think we should just change this to the Ashley Connor podcast. <laughs> Forget no film school. <laughs> um, so wrapping up, we're already sort of on this train, so to speak. Sorry, Ashley. But um, any other advice for for maybe first or second time filmmakers trying to stretch those production dollars or just trying to get the damn thing made? For me, I, as 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 talking about it as from the perspective of the first time producer on a feature um, who had the amazing privilege to work on a feature with people that uh, I I loved and and came to grow to love, uh, and and with the film financed by by Netflix is is the the deep belief and um, to to be able to be in the boat with these people and take the risk to get the job done. Uh, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm saying it right, but uh, as an African-American woman, like my voice was always heard and uh, I could always take the risk of saying what it was that I needed to be to say because I was surrounded by people who uh, cared about what I w was saying and believed that we were united uh, as one one uh, force to make this production work. And so, yeah, so that's what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't get to make movies like this on this type of budget, because even though the budget was more than a lot of movies, in the independent world, but uh, with so many locations and so many actors who are on set all the time, it kind of trickles away easily. But really, like, to commend Livy and the producers, it's like building a set based on love and everybody really wanting to be there. And it wasn't a set where, like, anyone ever felt uncomfortable. It was, like, really just one of the more caring sets I've ever been on. And the way that Olivia kind of handles herself, it's like when when a director is uncomfortable or anxious or angry or anything, it really trickles down quite quickly and you feel it throughout the entire crew. So to have 
be in Brownsville in July and August, like truly just in like sweat boxes to have Livy show up and be super prepared and super like enthusiastic and loving to everybody every single day was like a tremendous inspiration to the crew who's like working really hard. Yeah, I think that um, one thing to remember is it, it, it takes a long time. I mean, for this movie to come to life was a labor of love for Livy and the rest of the team for several, many, many years. And, and, um, and one thing that I think is worth reminding yourself is, as a, a young filmmaker is to not ask for permission necessarily to just, there, there's so many ways now to tell your story. Um, to just keep jamming through walls, or running through walls, and and, and, and get it done. Um, and of course, at some point, you run up against the challenges of independent filmmaking today, which is like it's still very uh, foreign, it's pre-sales based. It's like you know you have uh, oftentimes the casting challenges. It's hard to get access. There's there's a lot of things that are difficult. But um, the the more you can just Find ways to get it out there in, in any way possible. Even if you don't start with a full feature, if you start with a um, a short film that you can shoot, like look what Livy did, and, and it can build, and, and that, that traction will build, and, and, and it'll just finally um, you'll finally see the angle. We're like, oh, now I have this opportunity to push through. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I I started writing the script in 2011, so it's been seven years. Um, and there were many times over, I had two babies in that time too. So there were many disruptions to the process. There were many setbacks. Um, and there were many times where I got sick of it. Because when you live with this, the same story for so long, there's a lot of times where you start to question, like, does anybody really want to see this besides me? And should I stop? Um, and finding your champions, I think, is it, that was so critical every time you know, you would get into, like, the first lab I got into was Sinequanon Lab, which is this amazing writing lab in Mexico that's under the radar, and you get incredible feedback on your script, and the feedback I got from that lab was that then I put into the script that got me into the Sundance Labs, um, and just holding on, you know, any kind of positive response from a reader, the screenwriting groups that I was in, where the screenwriters, one of whom has been sitting here watching the podcast, um, saying, no, no, this is this is good. This, we want to see this movie. I want to see this movie on the screen. And so you just keep holding on to that. Um, but I think finding finding those champions along the way who can then open other doors. And you know, every lab or market you get into, you know, you exploit those connections and you say, okay, well, who can you, okay, you don't want to give me the money. Well, who could you introduce me to? You love the script? Well, then, you know, um, and, and I think that's, you know, eventually that I, I believe there's a, there's a different path for every movie and every movie is, an, is a miracle that they get made. Um, but if you, if you really believe that you have something that needs to be said and that needs to be on the screen, you just, you don't, you know, you don't stop ever you just every no is find another path but there's going to be one I just wanted to add that I think the reason why we're all here is because the script was really incredible like no joke when I was this is so rare that you get one like this that you get to 
be get to read a script my mum was visiting from Australia when I read it and she was just in the room watching me and I was like no don't do it I was like yelling at my laptop and then like crying and laughing and just I just was like I I have to do this like it's just the best thing I've ever read like it was so moving and yeah I'm cheering up just thinking about it (laughs) Libby's an incredible writer and an incredible director and I just yeah can't wait to see what you do next. Can I just say that I don't want it to be it it's not to be underestimated the impact that films like this have on the world and and the ways in which uh the the world is shifting uh with uh things like the me too movement and uh the inclusion writer. We were inclusion writer before anyone knew what an inclusion writer was, and it was natural. We didn't have to say it. It was just part of our DNA. Um, And so the impact that films like these have on young girls being able to watch this, on young girls... Uh, girls of color who are trying to like and guys I would argue yeah absolutely um to um to get to see their their feelings represented and their their you know seeing their their um person like seeing someone like them represented and and the fact that Netflix recognized that this was important to be to be seen and to be heard and to to be able to be interjected into the into the conversation is is really a big deal um, for such a big uh, studio to 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 take that and and run with it so I just wanted to say that well congratulations to all on such a wonderful project and uh, thank you so much for being here thanks for having us thank you thank you Thanks for listening. First Match is available on Netflix now. If you're interested in more stories like this, we're doing a 10-part podcast miniseries called First Feature on the making of Ryan Koo's Netflix original film, Amateur, the first episode of which we aired last week. And tune in on Thursdays for our Indie Film Weekly news show that fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can get any of these by searching for the No Film School podcast in iTunes or your favorite app. Also be sure to visit nofilmschool.com for useful new filmmaking articles every single day. Meanwhile, stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm and we are on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. See you on Thursday.